This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam is based in the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They're also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics to see their latest comic pickups and shop adventures. I'm a proud backer of the Paragons of Earth crowdfunder. The creative team of Percival Constantine, Thomas DJ, and Eric Johns have plucked forgotten Golden Age superheroes from the public domain, reinvented them as their own sort of Justice League, and put them up against a Lovecraftian apocalypse. Support this project by going to crowdfunder.com, that's crowdfunder without an E, slash Paragons comic, and read a free sample. Also, Perry, who's been a guest on the show, hosts the Superhero Cinephiles podcast about superheroes in media. Be sure to listen wherever you get podcasts. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and Round Reel in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Take it from an alum of two of them. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Hey, everybody. Before we get into my conversation with guest Chris Clow about the second half of the New Krypton comic book storyline, I had the opportunity to chat for a few minutes with Matt Idelson. Matt was the group editor on the Superman titles back in the day, including during the era of New Krypton. Matt was very gracious and answered a few questions, not unlike he used to do over at supermanhomepage.com. You might recall his Ask Matt feature. So I hope you enjoyed this brief Q&A with Matt Idelson. I started by asking him about the inception of New Krypton. I would tend to think Jeff came up with the initial idea or Jeff and James. I'm really not sure. But uh, it was a really fun process. We went out to the Warner Brothers lot. They flew me out there and got to meet James. I think Sterling Gates was there. I'm not, I don't think Greg Rocco was in the picture yet. So we went to the lot. We brought James's dog. It was a fantastic just watching them break these ideas in this story and little details, but then big sweeping things. It was just fun. I'm like the linesman watching the tennis match, you know? Jeff Johns uh, departs the books relatively early on, sort of after the opening segment of the new Krypton saga. I'm sure he had many other irons in the fire, and including Superman's secret origin. I was curious, if you remember, was it always kind of known that he would kick this off and then step away? Or was the initial plan for him to be with, with the Superman books uh, for more or all of New Krypton? Um, I, the plan was for him to be on, be on when he was on, but when you're creative and you've got a lot of ideas that you just can't keep contained, which guys like Jeff have, it just sort of, he couldn't manage it. He's like, okay, James is there, you know, Matt's there, Sterling's there. It'll be fine. What sort of challenges maybe, or, or opportunities, it could go either way, right? Challenges and opportunities that kind of popped up along the way once this got underway that maybe you hadn't anticipated heading into it. We weren't supposed to start World of New Krypton. That wasn't supposed to come out as soon as it did. The whole thing got kind of, we were told to move it up. I think it was like three or four months. So that had us a little skittering out of the game. It was sort of like reverberations from that that we were dealing with for a while. It kind of, you weren't invested in Nightwing as a character or who he'd turn out to be or any of that. Just everything kind of got out of sequence from that point for a little bit. So it was a challenge like that. And then Jeff leaving. Was there ever a thought about 
explaining how Sam Lane returned, right? Because he had seemingly died in our worlds at war, in the battle with Imperiax. And then he's back here and he's talking about, well, I was never really dead. I was in hiding. Was there ever any thought about showing what happened to him in that intervening time and how he got to this point? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a thread we somehow misplaced. Because I do remember it wasn't just going to be like, nobody, I'm not dead. Screw you. One of the things that, you know, I think always comes up in the conversation when we're, we're talking about New Krypton is the ending. And uh, Sterling Gates, at a minimum, I don't know if the other creators have addressed this publicly, but Sterling Gates, at a minimum, has tweeted about how the original plan was this four-month-long line-wide Krypton War crossover uh, that was going to be kind of the big finish to everything you guys had set up. And then that got uh, sort of consolidated into that month-long weekly War of the Superman story. Can you talk about how we got to that point and what the original plan was? I think it was, we were near the end line and people who had a broader vision of the entire line of the company said this needs to move up here because it allows for this new thing here. And it's a it's a bit of a puzzle for them to put together. So I get it, but it sometimes hurts the story too. Especially you don't want to hurt the ending. I mean, do you feel like the ending was hurt by by being consolidated to that to that miniseries? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was no room to breathe. There was no slow moments. It was just bam, 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 bam. It felt like we're canceled, so we're going to get as much of this into the last three episodes. Even though a lot happened and a lot happened quickly, you still certainly got the sense everyone was trying to put a bow on this and connect everything. And even if, even if certain moments maybe were just a, a few panels here or a page or something like that, we were still getting as much closure as I think was possible. So even within the the parameters of, of the, the, the limited real estate you guys had to work with, <laughs> Uh, I still appreciated the effort that went in to try to, you know, pull this all together. Well, these guys all read comics growing up. They loved these comics. That's why you saw the connections to the past that you did and the detail and the in intricacy. And so they were going to make sure they didn't leave anybody hanging because how many of us have been left hanging growing up, including them, were, ah, keep an eye out in this space in the fall. And then the thing just never Materialized. To what extent did Straczynski's impending tenure on the Superman title play into New Krypton ending earlier? That might be the reason. I'm not I'm not quite sure. We may have been cresting in the sales and it was like, okay, time to bring this to an end. I'm just not positive, which it was. My thanks to Matt for taking part. Matt is over at Dynamite these days, and one of the books he's working on is Vampirella 666. I hope you'll all check it out. And now, our episode. Before the rocket carrying Krypton's last hope, before the kindly couple, before the great metropolitan newspaper, there was the world that gave birth to the universe's greatest hero. Now, in Doomed Planet, we consider Krypton's history, legacy, and destruction, and the part of it that survived. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the second half of the New Krypton comic book storyline is the host of the Comic Binge and Discovery Debrief Podcasts, returning guest, Chris Cloud. Welcome back. Thank you very much for the invitation. Before we actually jump into things, um, if, if memory serves me correctly, when we talked about, I think it was Black Ring and, uh, and Camelot Falls, you had asked me if this was something that you should spend your time 
uh, absorbing. And I said, yeah, probably for you. Are you ready to kill me right now? Or are you okay with what the journey that you've gone on just out of the gate? (laughs) That's a great question. And I am happy to report. I am very pleased with the journey. Okay. It's interesting because it's very difficult to glean any sort of consensus from the internet, right? About what people generally think about something, but to whatever extent I can, because I've looked through old social media posts and read old articles and reviews and things like that, just trying to get a sense of what people think and feel about this new Krypton saga. And if there's any consensus to be had, it seems like, and again, I'm not trying to speak for everybody, but it seems like people tended to feel that it was a great setup, maybe less successful in the execution. And the greatest disappointment seemed to lie with the finale and the way in which everything was put back in the bottle, no pun intended. (laughs) And we'll get into all of it, but what I'll say at the outset is I can very much understand what informed those critiques. I can understand where all of that comes from. And I do share in maybe some of that, but I will say the way in which I read it, i.e. binge reading this over a period of a few weeks, really alleviated what would have been problems that I had otherwise. So that's one thing that I've really had in mind. What would my reaction have been had I read this over close to two years between 2008 and 2010, right? As opposed to binging it over a few weeks now at the end of 2023. So very different experiences. But in terms of how I read it, I really had a fun time with it. This was a very fun binge for me. So don't worry, you're off the hook. It's all good. All right, cool. Glad that (laughs) I I can stop praying for mercy. That's good. (laughs) It's good. We were talking off mic, but it, it is funny. The last time you were here for death metal, Mo, I was in the throes of crisis madness and I was going on about omniversal control rooms and crisis and anti-crisis energy. I probably sounded insane. (laughs) (laughs) Not too dissimilarly here. We, you and I were both comparing notes. We, there's a lot, it's different, but there's a lot going on in this new Krypton saga. I think both of us, our heads are kind of swimming with, with all of this new Krypton information. Absolutely. I mean, um, I was reading this as it was coming out. Uh, this was during the time that I was a retailer. So since Superman is a, a, a one of my top two favorite characters and often number one, um, I was selling these books and, and trying to keep people aboard and not doing a great job of it, if I'm being honest. But um, this, like you said, I mean, the setup for everything, and I know that you just sort of recapped the first half of this entire event. Um, I went to San Diego Comic-Con twice uh, in 2008 and nine. I haven't been since. And I feel like first day I was there in 2009, I, was, I felt like I was just there and it was still overwhelming from the year before. But um, in 2008, this was when Johns was still a part of the Superman creative team. And there was a panel discussion with him and with James Robinson. I think Sterling Gates was there. And it was all about Setting this up, the Jimmy Olsen special had not yet been released. So it was at the very, very beginning of everything. And just sort of the things that they were talking about definitely got me excited. But that two-year stretch, roughly two-year stretch, it weighed on me a little bit, even as a Superman fan. But, oh man, is there a lot to look back on 
with this entire era. It almost feels like an era unto itself that no one ever talks about. <laughs> you know, I agree. And this came up in our last episode. Right? Well, and the, and I guess the first time you were here and we talked about Black Ring and Camelot Falls, once again, in this stretch between Infinite Crisis and Flashpoint slash the New 52. And it is a distinct period where we are still in the post-crisis era, but a lot of pre-crisis elements are coming back in. But it's mm-hmm. not a, a reboot that we would get with the New 52. It's it's oh. sort of this interesting blend and relatively short, but still five years. And this arc, this saga took up <laughs> damn almost half of it. So <laughs> a great portion of it. And I mean, it's just an uh it's very astonishing to me in a lot of ways that this did take up so much real estate in all of the S books. And yet the discussion, it's not even like if you talk to a big Spider-Man fan who was really into the books in the nineties and you bring up the clone saga, then you're going to get immediately like strong reactions, either like it wasn't as bad as people say, or it's the worst thing that was ever committed to a comic page. And when you bring up new Krypton, people are just kind of like, yeah, that, that happened almost like the, the fact that it wasn't terrible makes it more forgettable. And I mean, I would argue that there's a great portion of these stories that are far from terrible. They're actually pretty good. As long as you're willing to go on the, because there's, it's a big ask, you know, the James Robinson, I asked him at a convention. He didn't know that his, a a great portion of his Superman tenure on the main title would not be writing Kal-El. That's something that didn't come until later. So it's just, it's such an unusual, but also weirdly like admiringly or admirably experimental uh, kind of storytelling in, in very mainstream Superman comics with some cynical business choices woven in there too. Yes. Yes. You bring up a lot of great points and I want to, I want to go through all of this. I'm really excited to get your take on everything. So, you know, you talked about the experience as it was coming out and how the duration of it came to weigh on you and you were in this position as a retailer at the time. Is this the first time you've got back to it or have you reread in the years since? I've reread parts of it, not the second half. Um, I The only collections that I own uh, related to this event are the first two parts, the Superman New Krypton hardcover collections, volume one and two, that encompass all of John's contributions. Okay. Um, after that point, I have not really revisited that, although I remember probably enjoying world of new Krypton the most, even potentially more than when Johns was on action contributing to this story. Um, I mean, everything like everything that Johns did up through the end of Brainiac, I thought was mind blowing after that. It was just kind of like, it was good, but it wasn't solid. Whereas world of new Krypton now I feel is kind of criminally underrated uh, you had Robinson who acted as kind of like a showrunner for this entire endeavor ultimately. And then you throw someone who's so good at character like, like Greg Rucka in there. I love that series. So reacclimating myself to that series in particular was a thrill, but also 
the shocking way that everything just ends. I forgot how extremely abrupt it was. And I'm kind of surprised that I, I think at the, so at the time that war of the Superman was coming out, this was four weeks in May of 2010. I think everybody, myself included, was just kind of ready for it to be over. So it was easier to accept, but then going back and reading this half and getting to war of the Superman. Oh my God. It is one of the most shocking kinds of storytelling swerves that uh, I've probably ever read in a Superman comic, honestly. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. I also, I do agree with you. Having immersed myself in these hundred plus issues uh, over these past few weeks, I will say that the World of New Krypton series, that 12 issue series uh, written by Robinson and Rucka was the highlight. And I think that if, if anyone out there is like, listen, I can't do this entire saga. I'll only read 12 issues. What should I read? Or I'll only read one portion of this. That's what I would say to read. And for the most part, obviously it follows from what came before and it leads into what comes after. And there are a couple of, of tie-ins along the way. But if there's mm. one part of this that I think you could give to someone just in and of itself and have it be a, for the most part, satisfying reading experience, I do think it's that. So for me, that was the highlight. I'm glad though you mentioned the collections because I know I know you're a you're a fan of the omnibus format, right? Yes. Yes. And deluxe edition hardcovers and and all that good stuff. So my understanding is that the entire saga has been collected. I don't know that they're all still in print at this point. In fact, I'm almost certain that at least some of them are not, but I'm not positive. But as I understand it, it wasn't collected chronologically. So right. for example, World of New Krypton was collected, that 12 issue series was collected over, I think two volumes. And then there's Monel volumes one and two and Nightwing and Flamebird one and two, right? I will say if, well, not if, I genuinely think that this saga is worthy of, of either a series of deluxe edition hardcovers or a couple of omnibus editions. And if and when that happens, I would like to see it collected chronologically, which is the way it is laid out and displayed on the app. And that's how I read it. And the shield numbers too on the covers. And the shield numbers, exactly. And that's what I think they should follow because it really gives you this kind of 52-esque or television series-esque feel to it where you're following these different threads and they converge and then they diverge. And I think... I think that's the way to read it. Do you agree or do you think that the way it was originally collected, that's how someone should kind of dive into this? I Collecting it chronologically, if you have to compare just those two ideas, probably makes more sense. Although, as you probably are very well aware, the actually reading it via the shield numbers, it does lurch a lot between different characters, different situations. I feel like if they ever did collect it in like an omnibus style, then the mapping might have to get a little more creative than just following the shield numbers and the publication uh, order that the issues came out. If they did it like on a per character based story without the instances where it's like, you know, like in last stand of new Krypton where there were things that happened in Supergirl and action between the three, the core three issue miniseries then, you know, take exceptions there. 
But I think it would be easier to do if you followed Monel for a little while, then you went to Nightwing and Flamebird, then you went to Supergirl, then you checked into what Commander L was doing on New Krypton. But mapping it would be a hell of a job. And I mean, it would be an interesting job, but you would really, I think, have to get the input from the creators themselves as well as just use good judgment about what really the most mindful way would be for someone who had never read these stories potentially to read them in something like an omnibus format. That's a long answer, I know, but it, it's there's so much here. If you're going to be complete, then I think it's worth putting the time in. Yes. No, I don't that's I know I don't disagree with you. I think that there's probably yeah, if it's if it's by title or by chronology and though it's a binary choice, I would go chronological, but if there's sort of sure. a recut <laughs> iteration of yeah. this, yeah. I think that probably is the way. And I will be perfectly honest and kind of arguing against myself now, but even as I was reading it on the app, there were times where I would just follow World of New Krypton or I would follow Monel, but again, for a couple of issues until they converged again. So I think there probably is some sort of blend. All that to say, what we're talking about is purely hypothetical because no such yeah. no such line of deluxe edition or omnibus books exists. I do hope that it does. In the meantime, again, at a minimum, they are available on the app. And again, I, I, I really think that reading it the way I did helped tremendously. The most common complaints that I have come across in researching this saga are that it went on too long that there wasn't enough Superman, that he was crowded out by all these other characters like Nightwing and Flamebird and Monel, who took over Action Comics and Superman, respectively, that it ended abruptly, and that, again, everything was sort of reset to the status quo uh, by the time all was said and done. And some of those problems, if you consider them problems, still remain, binge reading it, but a lot of them kind of go away, right? The fact that this was the sprawling almost two-year-long storyline, again, I experienced this over a few weeks. So I wasn't feeling that fatigue of, oh my God, another month of, of reading all of these titles. The lack of Superman for certain segments of the story, again, I won't lie, there were times where I found particularly the Nightwing and Flamebird portion of the story a bit tedious and really kind of outside my wheelhouse of what I look for uh, in terms of these stories. So there were definitely times where I was longing to get back to what I deemed kind of the main action of all of this. But again, binge reading it, it's like, okay, if Nightwing and Flamebird aren't my favorite, I'm with them for like 10 minutes, if that, and mm -hmm. then I'm on to the next thing. So that yeah. that really that really helped a lot. It's honestly a little surprising because I haven't really checked in on what the modern discourse around New Krypton is like, in, in, <clears throat> in all honesty. So hearing a criticism about the ending is actually rather novel to me because like I said before, you know, a great deal of the conversations I was having in the shop that I worked at was that this is going on too long. They need to, they need to finally end this. My guess is that what ultimately accelerated the end uh, to take the form that it, that it did was J. Michael Straczynski coming aboard rather imminently after this. They made a pretty big deal about that uh, prior to the publication of Superman number 700. So he was getting ready to do Grounded. And I don't, I, I certainly don't think he wanted to be encumbered by something that was sprawling. I mean, he, he kind of famously jumped off of Thor because he didn't want to be encumbered by an Asgardian oriented 
Marvel U crossover. So he ended his run and then they did a story called Siege that ended uh, the Dark Reign and, and took out Norman Osborn as the head of what was S.H.I.E.L.D. before. And it's a kind of similar circumstance here, only in that Straczynski had a rather clean slate and you had Paul Cornell sort of coming in alongside that and they were able to do what they wanted to do. They still restricted Superman to one book for a while because it was in the Straczynski book and they gave action to Lex Luthor, as you and I read. But um, the the criticism around the abruptness of the ending, certainly reading it collected, it stands out like a sore thumb. In the moment, it seemed like people were ready to old yeller New Krypton and War of the Supermen was the book that finally did it. Even though a lot of the threads that uh, I, I would probably think that a, a fair amount of readers were invested in, all of a sudden just they, they flipped the light switch off. Like Alora, I think, is a good example of that. Um, just gone. All of these people, this entire planet, this whole year's worth of, 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 uh, of storytelling and year's worth of preparation, and it's just gone? Collected? Yes. Really abrupt, really strange. In the moment, a lot of people wanted that. Just to be done. No, I do. I, 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 can, I can understand that. I, so let, we'll circle back to the ending, but I want to lay out for the audience. So what it was that we read. So again, this was the second half of the new Krypton saga. And of course, in the first half, we can go back and listen to our episode, but Superman discovered the one true bottle city of Kandor aboard Brainiac's ship, rescued it, enlarged it. And then we had these tensions mounting between the Kandorians and the people of Earth. And it led to the Kandorians leaving Earth and forming their own planet, New Krypton, in orbit on the opposite side of the sun. And after Alora, the leader of New Krypton, essentially released Zod to be their military leader, and a decision which was praised and welcomed by the people of New Krypton, Superman realized that he needed to go to New Krypton and, and live among them and essentially fight for the soul of, of New Krypton. That's a, a very over, you know, a, a broad uh, summary of, of what we talked about last time. But for this episode here, we looked at the chapters World Against Superman and Last Stand of New Krypton. And our principal creators here on the writing side, and we've mentioned a bunch of these folks already, James Robinson, Sterling Gates, and the writing team of Greg Rucka and Eric Troutman. And on the art side, Various artists, but I, the ones we whose work we see the most, Pete Woods, Bernard Chang, Jamal Eigel, and Pere Perez. And the issues that we read, I'll also put these in the show notes for anyone who, who actually wants to dive into them. Superman 691 through 700, Action 880 through 889, Supergirl 44 through 52, World of New Krypton 6 through 12, Adventure Comics, they pull that one in too, 8 through 11, the three-issue miniseries Last Stand of New Krypton, and the... War of the Superman miniseries uh, zero through four that wrapped up this entire saga. And I'll say this, you and I are not here to give a comprehensive beat by beat plot summary. That's what Wikipedia is for. And as Michael Scott <laughs> says, the great thing about Wikipedia, anyone in the world can write anything they want. So you know, you're getting the best possible information. But seriously, <laughs> if anyone wants <laughs> to dive more specifically into any of this, or you want more context, uh, you know, I, I, there are there are plenty of of summaries of all of this out there, but we'll unpack as much as we can. And I do just want to give 
again, just kind of a high level overview of some of the tentpole moments of this, just so people have some context when, when we're talking about all of this. So these two chapters, World Against Superman and Last Stand of New Krypton, include an assassination attempt against General Zod, the reveal of a Kryptonian cabal plotting to weaken the planet before an inevitable war with Earth in exchange for mercy from General Lane, Nightwing and Flamebird's true celestial natures revealed, Monel's glow up and team up with the Legion of Superheroes, Lana Lang's infection by the Insect Queen and Jimmy Olsen's seeming death and resurrection, Brainiac and Luther's attack on New Krypton, Zod's declaration of war against Earth, New Krypton's destruction orchestrated by Lane, and fighting across Earth, which culminates in a brawl in the streets of Metropolis, and essentially a full return to the status quo with all New Kryptonians either dead or imprisoned in the Phantom Zone. I think that hit on most of the salient points. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, my, my kudos to you for condensing everything into those salient points, because that had to have been at least a little bit of a challenge. It's all good. I also want to circle back to what you were saying before, because we do actually have some clarity on what the hell happened with the ending. So Sterling Gates, who wrote the Supergirl title uh, and some of and the, some of these miniseries as well that we mentioned, uh, he's tweeted about this. So, oh yeah. So back on, there were a couple that I pulled in particular and, and I want to share. So this was just back in April of this year. He tweeted that we had plans for a longer line-wide crossover where all the DC heroes fought the new Kryptonians. Those plans got truncated when someone sold the powers that be on, quote, their more powerful idea. And in an earlier tweet, Gates had said, it will always bum me out that our four-month-long line-wide crossover new Krypton war got shortened to a four-week-long story in order to usher in the next creative team. So, my friend, you were on the money that J. Michael Straczynski's impending tenure on the Superman title sort of short-circuited, I guess, what their big finale was meant to be. Now, I don't know, man, and I know we're skipping ahead to the end, but it's one of these things where, I guess reading it the way I read it and the way you just reread it, I think I would have loved to have seen that at the time, though. I mean, how do you think you would have felt at the time if DC announced, hey, this is all building to a four-month-long crossover, a la like a Blackest Night or something like that. I probably would have been into it, but it would have been a tall order considering that there hadn't really been a great deal of event recovery time after the sort of double whammy that we had had from Final Crisis and Blackest Night, kind of back-to-back. So... I mean, 2010, gosh, I'm trying to think. I mean, that's a year before Flashpoint. There wasn't really a big uh, line-wide crossover event at the Flashpoint level or the or the Crisis level or the Blackest Night level that year. So I can totally see how there's a hole in the, the publication schedule. Um, I think it would have proven to be... I, I'm sure what I would have thought at the time is that it's just show some investment in Superman. Let Superman lead one of these big events. Cause he hasn't really like even infinite crisis. He wasn't fully front and center. Batman arguably got more to do in the core miniseries than Superman did though. Superman certainly had an important role to play and arguably the best role to play. But, um, 
I probably would have been on board with it, especially if you brought the rest of the league in. Because as sprawling as New Krypton was when we were in the middle of it, it also weirdly felt sequestered from the rest of the DCU. There was a separate Blackest Night Superman miniseries that James Robinson wrote with Eddie Barrows on art, uh, which was good. And uh, it was, but it referenced New Krypton only tangentially because they were in Smallville. Earth 2 Superman was wreaking havoc in Smallville and eating people's hearts. And, uh, and Cal and, and Connor had to stop him and it was just a minor reprieve from what was going on. Presuming you even picked it up. Maybe more people were picking up blackest night Superman than the regular issues of, of action in Superman, but it would have been a lot to ask considering how much event storytelling we had gotten. And I wonder if that was just not a gamble they were willing to take. I hear you. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where obviously look, <clears throat> hindsight is 2020. It, it would have been a different story if the creators had known these are the issues you have to work with from the start, right? Because maybe what they had planned for the end, maybe that could have come a little bit early. Cause I will say there are points in the story where it held my interest throughout, but there were certain segments of it that I found more engrossing than others. And True. had we sacrificed some of that for a more fully fleshed out climax, I would have been all for that. I think the problem here, and again, we don't have all of the the details at this point, but I get the sense, right, that this came probably pretty late in the game that they were told, hey, this is what it's going to be. And I will say, mm -hmm. to the credit of the creators, specifically uh, Robinson and Gates, who, who wrote The War of the Supermen, I think they did as good a job as one could do in wrapping up such a sprawling saga in just a few issues. Like if that's the assignment, <laughs> Hey, this thing that you've been working on for all this time that you were building towards this month long finale, again, instead of four months, you have four weeks, do what you can do. Uh, kudos well, for what they were able to pull off. And I mean, more evidence that this was supposed to be a bigger event. That zero issue of war of the Superman was the offering on free comic book day that they had advertised a while earlier. So, I mean, they normally reserve that slot for a book they know is going to move mountains. You know, Blackest Night's Zero Issue also came out on free comic book day. And, uh, I mean, they did, like, uh, the promo drawn by Jim Lee before Trinity War began in the new 52 Justice League stuff. I mean, it's, it's a prominent position because people don't have to pay for it, right? You just... Go in, you pick up the book, and you read it, and you see what's going on. Uh, DC Universe number zero ahead of Final Crisis seeded a bunch of different stories across the line in addition to that core crossover. So for Superman, War of the Supermen, number zero, to only feed a four-issue series that's coming out within the span of a single month, yeah, that's automatically suspect. And I think just adds more credence to the idea that this was supposed to be something that was way bigger than it ended up being. That being said, you can't fault war of the Superman for lacking action. If you didn't, if there were those lulling moments over the course of reading the other titles, man, you got uh, uh, an information overload, potentially action infomania from reading war of the Superman. Yes. <laughs> but your your point is well taken though about it feeling a bit 
sequestered. Even even just reading these titles and not reading all the other books that were coming out from DC at the time, you do get the sense like, hey, this this would have larger ramifications. And to the credit of the World of New Krypton series, especially the issues that we read, there is a skirmish with the Thanagarians, right? Because they're, they encounter the New Kryptonians as they're moving one of the, the moons of Saturn, right, into New, New Krypton's orbit. Callisto, yeah. Yeah. And then there's uh, a later interaction with Jem, the son of Saturn, right, about this role that New Krypton has taken for itself in the galaxy. Uh, Adam Strange shows up as well, right, because New Krypton has now had this tentative alliance with Thanagar, which is, of course, Rand's uh, enemy. So I think that book did a good job, at least on an intergalactic <laughs> level of kind of showing, hey, there's this larger picture out here and, and other players in the DC universe are taking note of New Krypton. But yeah, mm -hmm. just with within the DCU proper and, and Earth in particular, yeah, I don't know that you necessarily got that feel. This really felt like more of its own thing. Yeah, and even within the Superman titles, if you were predisposed to check out what Superman has going on, I think one of the cynical business decisions that guided this series was that World of New Krypton was its own mini as opposed to being... Uh, to unfolding in either Superman or action. They knew that people like us were not going to want to have holes in our collections for the two main titles when it would be very easy just to not pick up a Monel book or a Nightwing and Flamebird book. Instead, they put those characters in the critical Superman titles and they took Cal away and put him in a dedicated miniseries. So you had to add the title on. If you wanted to maintain the, the uh, continuous stream of your collection, not have any of those holes, but also see what the hell Superman was doing. Uh, it, book is smart. I can't say it's not smart. It's very, I know, no, I know for sure. We reference the television series Smallville a lot around here. And there's one Smallville rewatch podcast that's always at the top of my queue. Always hold on to Smallville, hosted by our pal, Zach Moore. Zach and his guests bring tremendous insight, passion, and humor as they discuss each and every episode of the series that ushered in the renaissance of superhero TV. Listen to Always Hold On to Smallville wherever you get podcasts, and keep an eye out for the other shows under the Always Hold On to banner, including Arrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Superman and Lois, and Star Wars. Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, a.k.a. my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have kids and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit allyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me now. All Yeah! So we had a few questions from one of my patrons. So patrons at all levels have the opportunity to submit a comment or question to be addressed on air. Uh, this is from our pal Rick. So he asked what, what we thought of Cal's uniform on New Krypton, right? He goes there, he becomes part of the military guild, Commander L. I dug the costume. What about you? Yeah, I thought it was it was clean. You know, the idea of, of maintaining at least the modicum of iconography with the, the family crest on the uniform, Thought was a nice touch and clearly it's going to be the most important on Superman and they had it there and, and that's where it counted, but it's sleek. And I think it helps to emphasize just some of what he's going through in that story, you know, having to 
put that thing on every day is another form of disguise, which he's, I mean, that's disguise is not totally an alien concept to Superman, of course, but the nature of what he was doing was so much more nuanced than we're used to seeing and required a great deal more of his mental energy and attention. I think the, the costume was a good extension of that theme of the story. So yeah, I liked it. Agreed. And building off of that, there are a couple of key points where he discards that uniform and dons the red and blue, specifically when he tracks the assassin to Earth, right? And he's like, this is a job for Superman. And he opens up the cabinet and there's the costume. Uh, and then, of course, at the, well, I can't even say the climax of the story because we, we still had more Not of quite. the Superman Not <laughs> quite. during Last Stand of New Krypton, where he can't serve under Zod any longer for choices that Zod made that resulted in the loss of many Kryptonians. And he once again uh, dons the Superman costume. So yeah, I, lo- I, I agree with that completely about this whole uh, disguise aspect. You still had that just in a, in a different context here. And then Rick's last question, what we thought of Cat Grant's portrayal uh, in the New Krypton saga. And it's interesting because Cat returned in the last son arc, right? And the, well, I don't know if she was back in that, but definitely by the time of Brainiac in the Jeff Johns tenure on action comics, Cat Grant returned. Yeah, there, there's like a joke in there that Gary Frank drew. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. She was back by then. <laughs> she was back. And I mean, I'll say generally speaking, look, as, as someone who, who, who loves the triangle era, I'm always happy when that core metropolis supporting cast uh, is there. And she came back and it was a different spin on the character. It didn't necessarily feel so much like what I had remembered from the Triangle era. They definitely, she's very scantily clad and there are all these jokes about plastic surgery and she's on the tabloid beat and she's tearing down all these young starlets and Supergirl in particular, right? In the first issue of Supergirl by Gates and Eigel, there's this whole article that Kat writes about why the world doesn't need Supergirl. Uh, so she's portrayed really more as this antagonist. But what I appreciated was from the jump, uh, we, we do get this sense that her characterization is informed by the lingering grief over the loss of her son, Adam, of course, during that classic uh, Triangle Era story by Dan Jurgens. So I felt like it was a way to get the character back, yes, with a little bit of a different flavor, but with its roots in stories that we had read before. So that's kind of at the, at the outset. As we move forward through this story, though, uh, and again, she really plays a role in fanning the flames of anti-Kryptonian sentiment among the humans through her articles and her appearances on Morgan Edge's television show. And not to get political, but it was very interesting to me to see the way in which General Lane was using the media, again, to fan the flames of this bigotry, essentially, towards towards this this planet of New Krypton. And there's one point where Lane is watching or listening to what Morgan Edge is saying on uh, on the television. He even gives the order. He's like, tell Edge to hit this point harder or to you know sharpen his language here clearly giving direction to to the media in that instance. And it's like, you know, I can't help but think of when Sean Hannity comes on TV and he's like, oh, sources tell me Trump, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, sources? It wasn't the guy himself like telling you what to say? So it just, and again, it, you know, this was you know years ago at this point, it was just interesting. Uh, and again, to kind of see some of those real world parallels, but just the use or the weaponization of the media 
uh, it was something that stood out to me. And obviously, Cat uh, had a part in that. But but what uh, what was your take on Cat and all of this? No, I, I think that what you bring up is really apt, especially considering you know just trying to go back to the time, uh, the the period in which these stories were published, at least particularly when they started. Uh, you know, coming out of the financial crisis. And, uh, you know, we were embroiled in multiple conflicts overseas and there was still, uh, I guess, backlash and analysis taking place about what the media's role was in sort of trying to orient the population one way or another, that those themes definitely hit hard in this, in the film adaptation of V for Vendetta, which was a couple of years before this was published. Um, so I think that there is certainly something that they were trying to say about using the tools of the trade to try and craft public opinion, uh, kind of a product of a, a, a cynicism that was very aimed at the framing of global events, right? As far as cats role in it. Yeah. It very much, like it surprised me how different it was, but I'd also sort of seen it before in Lois and Clark. Right. I mean, that's kind of the role that she plays there. It seemed like they were just kind of adapting that um, and just kind of not mentioning Adam all that much. So, I mean, that's one way to do it. I've seen rougher changes in direction for comic book characters in the past. But weirdly enough, I mean, I feel like these books must have been pretty influential in the version of Grant that we ultimately got in the Supergirl TV series. Um because she is like a, I guess more of a frenemy later in that show. But at the beginning, she's got an ax to grind. She's kind of like, uh, J Jonah Jameson is to Spider-Man. Um, but you know, for Supergirl in the, that adapted version of the DC universe. So clearly the characterization had some staying power and, uh, and you can see her used pretty effectively for the role that she has been given over the course of these issues, I think. Yes, well said. That's a great point about the Supergirl TV show. I think, yeah, no, I mean, I think there's such a strong argument to be made that this characterization here, at least to some degree, informed what we saw on television. I will also say I read a bit pat, as much reading as I did for these episodes, I had still <laughs> a little bit more in me. And I read the the sort of the aftermath issues of New Krypton in the Supergirl title, in particular the last two issues of the Sterling Gates run, which featured Kat prominently and there were missing children and she was receiving these toys in the mail. And it seemed like toy man was the culprit and spoiler alert, it ends up being toy man's son uh, who is uh, going about all of this. And Kat Grant, who had written the article in, in, in the first issue of this run about how the world doesn't need Supergirl, it, it ends with with an article, The Day I Needed Supergirl, right? And so they come to terms and they have this whole adventure involving Toy Man and Toy Man's son. Uh, and, and that, I think, kind of maybe tied up a lot of this and, and at least for me, sort of reconciled what felt maybe a little bit like a disconnect between the cat that I knew and the cat that we were seeing here. I think those couple of issues in particular went a long way towards sort of saying, okay, I kind of see the full picture of what we're doing with the character. While we're sure. talking Daily Planet people, this is such a minor moment, but I just loved it. So there's a part, it's an issue of action, I believe. It's the cover where, where Lois is being led away by the government agents. Uh, and so this is the point where she knows her father, General Lane, is alive and he's been behind Project 7734 and, and all this stuff. 
and he sends his his agents to, to apprehend her at the Daily Planet. And who of all people <laughs> steps up to run interference and like tackle one of the agents to let her go? Steve Lombard. Oh, I was I love that. Yeah. It's almost like you could feel him reliving his glory day while also trying to do something to help out uh Lean, right? I mean uh, no, I love that moment. Uh, um, didn't Ron Troop do something too? I feel like he played a, a part in that moment, but the Lombard tackle was by far like the star of the show because, I mean, he's always such a slime ball and seeing a little bit of a reprieve, you know, maybe a heart of gold in there after all. Yeah, that was a, that was a nice moment. Absolutely. I know when people think new Krypton saga, that's probably not the moment that first comes to mind, but I just, I was so happy to see that. It's like this guy, it's like, all right, you give him, give him this. At least he had, you know, his, his moment of glory there. So definitely, I sort of have my roadmap of, I think where the rest of our conversation will go, but I, you know, look, I appreciate all the homework that you did <laughs> preparing for this. Is there something in particular you want to jump to next? Zod. Um, because I think the journey that Zod goes through over the course of this entire story, uh, particularly since the beginning of World of New Krypton, is so fascinating because there has not been an abundance of room during this era, uh, this, the, especially like the late post-crisis era, to give Zod a great deal of nuance. Uh, I don't think For Tomorrow succeeded. Uh just personal perspective but um the application of zod as someone who has so much history with superman someone that's such a well-known quantity in the dc universe who had just been given a new lease on life by jeff johns and richard donner the role that where he plays is kind of a an actual confidant in certain respects of superman and also ends up trusting him at least in the ways that count for him to do what is most important to him. That stuff I found really fun. And that's one of the ways that I feel a little bit of the weight of the quote unquote tragedy of how abrupt the end is, because I feel like there was a little more runway to explore before, uh, Cal and Zod actually came to blows. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, that's one of the biggest things that I wrestled with. We talked in the, in the first episode and it continues here for essentially for the rest of world of new Krypton, the level of nuance to, to your point that we get to see in Zod is really fascinating because he doesn't behave on new Krypton the way you would necessarily expect him to. Right. And it's also colored by the fact that to Kandor, he's a hero. He's this military hero right, who valiantly tried to save them from Brainiac. He failed, but he, but he tried, and now he's been reintroduced to them as their military leader, and they're all there for it. Uh, and over the course of, of World of New Krypton, again, he, he brings Cal into the military guild. He backs his play in numerous instances, especially in those first few, those first few issues, and it's fascinating. And yes, this fan of Smallville, and I know you are as well. It's like, you know, this idea of these, whether it's, it's uh, you know, Clark and Lex on Smallville or even later Clark and Zod for a little bit on Smallville. <laughs> this idea of this friendship that goes that goes wrong is, is really kind of fascinating. And it was such a great reversal of expectations to mm -hmm. see the two of them kind of working together. And I loved it. It was so refreshing. 
it kind of broke my heart how quickly Zod just turned back. It's like, again, like you said earlier, like a, like a flip had been switched. Like he turned right back to the villainous uh, character that we had been expecting all along. And what I think really kind of, what kind of bugged me was in the last stand of New Krypton portion where Brainiac and, and Luther attack, uh, you know, attack Handor very early on, like from the jump, Zod, as I had mentioned earlier, sacrifices many Kryptonians, right? They're around the ship. They're trying to breach the ship and, and he launches this blast and he doesn't give them time to, to clear. And from that point forward, right, he has law, any, any, any goodwill he had earned with Superman, right, is, is out the window. And even though there are times where they are literally fighting back to back against Brainiac's yeah. robots, they are very much at odds, philosophically, ideologically, and that just builds from there. And then we get to the end of, of The Last Stand of the Krypton, and he's declaring war, and then War of the Superman starts, and Cal's busting in. He's like, how dare you? And they're just, they're at odds. And I felt like it, I would have really loved if during Last Stand of New Krypton, they hadn't been kind of, uh, you know, put at odds so quickly, if instead this common enemy had united them further and then there's something, whether it's sacrificing Kryptonians or something else at, you know, at the middle or the end that like really just drives this wedge between the two of them. But I just felt like it was such an easy way out. And it just, it kind of rerouted us back to kind of the default Zod that we're expecting all along. And I just thought what we had been getting was just so much more interesting. Yeah. And I mean, you can really tell that the moments between Cal and Zod on World of New Krypton in particular, that was like act one of something that was supposed to go on longer as we've already pretty much established. I mean, the idea, uh, because I'm sure like it's, it's very easy for me. Like if I'm trying to get in the head of a character like Zod, as I'm reading this, then during last sun, when he was defeated by Superman sent back into the phantom zone with non and Ursa, he probably would have had a thought like if I had my army, I could have taken you down easily. And then in the first few issues of world of new Krypton, Superman tests his metal against Zod's soldiers and they don't stand a chance because Superman has lived a long time with, uh, with his power level. And he's learned to, in, in addition to learning, I'm sure some like Kryptonian martial arts, he's also learned from the likes of Bruce Wayne and Ted Grant how to scrap with that power level, right? So for Zod, I think to immediately understand that there's a tactical advantage to seeing how Kal-El conducts himself on the battlefield. Uh, my army is not what it was. So maybe it's a good thing that I can learn from him for as long as he's useful. Like that's in my mind, that's what's going through Zod's head in this entire calculus. And it was set up in such a concise way. You're not going to say concise a lot about anything having to do with New Krypton, but that relationship clearly had uh, the most of my attention back then and revisiting these moments now. No, absolutely. Because there's, there's a, a conversation between them. I think it's at the top of War of the Superman where essentially it just comes down and I think Zod all but admits to this that he just brought Cal in to keep him close and to get him to train the other Kandorians because Cal has 
learn how to use all of his powers, uh, and that it was essentially a ruse. And I'm split on this because on the one hand, we know from following Nightwing and Flamebird that Zod had sent these sleeper agents, these Kryptonians. He had sent them through and they've been on Earth for a while at this point, undercover, waiting to be activated. And that's a, a big part of the Nightwing and Flamebird a portion of all of this where they're trying to track down these sleeper agents. So it's like, okay, he had this going on. And all, all this to say, I'm just like, I'm naive and I'm thinking, oh, he's such a good guy, this Zod. I'm, it's just that... There were moments in that World of New Krypton story where it just – his support of of Cal and the respect that seemed to be building uh, between the two of them, it's it, – I don't know. Maybe I was just an easy mark for this and it just – but it just felt genuine to me and I just felt like there was – I don't know. There was just more there and then it all just seemed to be discarded rather quickly. No, I think that – I mean, given the information that we have now about the way things unfolded and even the information that we had at the time where there was an abundance of this material that was set up between them, I think that that bears out. I mean, ending it as abruptly as they did on, they had to tie every bow that they put, or at least, at least as many as they could in what, a hundred pages, right? Over the course of all five issues, roughly. And it's just it, it's it's an immediate simplification of the conflict to say I, it was a ruse all along. No, I I feel like the intent at the moment when the, those moments were actually being written was that Zod had the capacity to call Kal-El a friend, and there was going to have to be something far more uh, nuanced to to actually tear that apart. Yes. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. So that, you know, that was something that, uh, I definitely was wrestling with, you know, there's one other thing and I could save this for the end, but I don't want to forget. We talked about this last time. What was so interesting about the setup to this entire saga is that Pa Kent dies at the exact moment that Kandor is restored. So you have this really compelling dichotomy. He's losing a huge part of his human life and regaining a huge part of his Kryptonian life. And there are a couple of moments early on, and we talked about them last time, and poor Ma Kent is alone on the farm eating her dinner, and then later Clark sends Crypto to keep watch over her. And we check in with Martha a few times uh, in what we read, particularly because now the, at the time, recently resurrected Connor Kent was living on the farm, and Monel is also stopping by as well. But it really bummed me out that we didn't have any kind of full circle moment. Like there's no, no mention or memory of Pa Kent as we get to the end of the story. And I just felt, and even the lead story of Superman 700, which was James Robinson's farewell. And it also had Straczynski's first story that set up the grounded arc. But even that was just all about Clark and Lois reuniting. And it's like, that's nice. But I really felt like, there was a missed opportunity to really thematically try to tie this all back together. And it just felt like the loss of his father, his earth father was really kind of, it just kind of got lost in the shuffle the deeper we got into this story. And I think that was, I was just disappointed by that. It would have been a really good way to tie into the end of blackest night. If the black lantern ring had managed to keep Paul Kent reanimated 
and he's a beneficiary of the white entity. At the moment, New Krypton is destroyed. Oh, I'd have, I'd have been. I mean, obviously, I'm writing my own script, but it's tying into the wider universe while also bringing that moment full circle, almost like uh, Perpetua is saying, <laughs> "You can't have one of these things." All right, so you need to have either your human community or your Kryptonian heritage back. And he gets the chance to have both. But I mean, I'm also someone who generally is against the Kents being dead. I, I pr have pretty strong feelings about that in terms of what they bring to Superman stories on an ongoing basis. I think it's important for him to have that support system. It's one of the things that absolutely distinguishes him certainly from Batman, right? I mean, Batman has a support system, but it's not Thomas and Martha Wayne. It's uh, it's Alfred and the surrogate family he's built. Whereas I think Clark's parents are so critical to who he is that if you're going to have a story that throws worlds at him, then I think the character deserves to have the, that support system to call from and the perspective that certainly his father usually helps to provide to those stories. So my immediate vote to bring that full circle would be to resurrect Paquette somehow. But, you know, I'm, I was already kind of down about the fact that they had decided to use him uh, to kick this thing off, even though thematically I, it totally makes sense. You know, I can't begrudge them that. No, I'm, I'm always firmly in the camp of I want them alive. But I, I came to appreciate what the intention was with, with what yeah. they did with Jonathan here. But the fact that it, we never came back to it. <laughs> Like in this whole second half of the arc was kind of, again, was just a little disappointing. And just tied into brightest day. You're done. I know. You got it. It, it would would have been great. Oh, well. I know. Yeah. They so, didn't hire us. Yeah. So. <laughs> so I mentioned this earlier in my, in my, in my summary, this idea of a group of Kryptonians working at the behest of General Lane to weaken Krypton. Right. So that when this inevitable war occurs, it will end faster. And in return for their assistance, Lane will spare the, the planet and the people and the members of this this little cabal will receive positions of power. At least that's what they're promised. And we don't we don't get this full picture until the end, until issue 12 of World of New Krypton. But again, the the portion of the story that we started with Codename Patriot Again, we have this Kryptonian, Ral Dar, who, who shoots General Zod and almost kills him and flees to Earth. And we quickly get the sense that he was working with General Lane. And then Lane manipulates him into a situation in Markovia, uh, essentially, again, tricks him into attacking the U.S. and Markovian presidents. And this provides Lane the opportunity to emerge from the shadows because we've known he's around and Lois has very recently figured it out, but this is still very much a black bag operation. And now he can emerge in the eyes of the public as, as humanity's savior. And then back on Krypton, new Krypton, uh, especially as we get towards the end and those Adam Strange issues, we have uh, two Kryptonians, including uh, a member of the council who are, who are, who are killed Essentially, again, you find out that there were these Kryptonians who were working to to weaken um, to weaken New Krypton. Did that track for you? Did that because I'm really torn of whether it's like, oh, that's kind of clever, or just kind of scratching my head. Like, did that make sense that this was what was going on in the background that those Kryptonians were doing what they were doing for that reason? 
No, because I mean, I think that when you depict an alien race, it's important to approach them from as human a perspective as possible. And I don't think that anyone would be willing. You could maybe get one just in terms of like the proportionality to, to the amount of uh, members of that culture that are there. But it's just, it's hard to, for me to see that a Kryptonian could be so easily bought to, um, you know, con- uh, create a conspiracy that would weaken the planet knowing having to know that it could result in its destruction. I mean, or at least the destruction of a, a great deal of the people. So no, it didn't make sense to me. I felt like it was a little too convenient. I would have preferred, um, maybe I think it would have made more sense if Lucy played that part, honestly, because by the end of the story, she really didn't have anything to do. And they got rid of her arguably the most abruptly in war of the Superman. Um, well, I, I guess maybe the Kryptonian army, a great portion of them that, on, on retrospect, but <laughs> so many people die in that, in that series. Um, it just, yeah, it didn't track. I'm trying to come up. It's just, it, you're right. It didn't track. It just didn't. I know I want to like it. Like I really, when, when Cal confronts the, the, the leader of this conspiracy, uh, I, I, you know, I wanted to buy into it more, but I just kept going back to really, cause again, it's intriguing, you know, with going back to Raul Dar, it's like, why, why would he be working? You know, why would he be working with Lane? And, but then you see Lane tricking him again to an extent. So, you know, you don't really get the full scope of it. But that's ultimately what it comes down to. So they're again, they're they're murdering, they're murdering some of New Krypton leaders. Uh, they're also cr- causing illness among the members of the Labor Guild. That's another yeah. aspect of this. So it did lead though to a, a moment that I really like between Cal and Zod at the very end of World of New Krypton, right before Brainiac ship arrives, where where Cal is like, you know, I essentially like I expected more from my people. Like I, I placed more belief in them and to see them do this. And Zod is like, well, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, that's, that's probably true. And, and again, that's, that's been a theme and we talked about it in the last episode and it comes up again here um, for, I think for, for Superman, the character, but also for us as the audience, it's like, we only ever get the idea of Krypton, right? So now to actually see it and see these people f- for the flawed beings that they are, is interesting and even for Superman, like it's eye opening, right? So I, I like that aspect of it, but the whole co- conspiracy, I don't know that that really held together. No, I mean, I feel like it would have been easier and it would have made more sense to just have Reactron threaten a defector's family to motivate them to act against their own best interests, right? But again, writing my own script, nobody cares. Um, but in terms of uh, Zod. I mean, that moment was great. I, I really appreciated that because there's just such a difference between their actual perspectives and how much trust they would be willing to place in people. That's a, that's a really solid moment, but I don't know. It's just, there's so many different sort of conflicting feelings that arise from a great portion of this event. And again, I think it's such a simplification to say that it's bad. I don't think you could say that. Not with a straight face. If you've read all these issues, uh, I don't think you can really say that. But it just, there's such an overload in both plot and character because of just the amount of content that there is. 
the conspiracy just feels like a, a means to an end in terms of the mechanics of the plot. But I mean, did you, did you feel like it was a story or it was a cog? Oh, interesting. Probably, you know, that's a good way of putting it. Probably more of a cog. Like what I liked going back to the first part of this, I really liked, and this is very early on when you had the Kryptonians abducting Superman's villains and putting them in the phantom zone. And that felt like, that felt more organic. That felt like, well, yeah, this actually tracks that they would take this step and they would utilize their means of punishment and imprisonment. And, you know, they're taking a proactive step to protect Superman and, and themselves in the process. And it, it created this tension between, between Candor and earth. And there were the police officers and prison guards who were killed in the process. And that was this huge inciting incident. And that, yeah, that felt a lot more organic. This, yeah, this more kind of felt, I, I don't know. I, again, I, I really do appreciate all the work that went into planning this and how it all connected. And even with a rushed ending, it's still tied together as, as well as it could. But I don't know, maybe you get to a certain point and we, we sort of, I don't know. It's like, we have to get to that ultimate conflict. And so, yeah, this does become, like you said, more of a means to an end as opposed to more of an organic, uh, you know, narrative component. But at the same time too, it is very well, it's a well-serviced machine because even if the motivations for some characters may seem uh, arbitrary, um, at least there's thought given to everybody in the story. You know, everybody has, at least arguably until the final moments, everybody has like a function that they have each served with a progression through so many issues. And that's one of the things that I think immediately uh, needs to enter New Krypton into a larger conversation just about line-wide storytelling. This was a very well-crafted narrative. Even if you didn't necessarily like where it went, they thought about everything and they thought about everyone until they were literally told they couldn't anymore. And even then, to their credit, even then at the end of War of the Supermen, you get a page of Guardian driving away from Metropolis, leaving the science police behind, and his niece, Billy, who was romantically involved with Monel, is like, Uncle Jim, I'm pregnant. And it's like, what? Like Monel, <laughs> who's now once again trapped in the Phantom Zone, mm -hmm. is going to have a kid out there. I mean, he won't because we'll have the new 52 and this will all go away. But but even that, right? Even if it even if it was short, they they tied up what they could. So uh, And it was a forward-looking seed too yeah. that could have played out in its own way if someone wanted to pick that up and run with it. The fact that nobody did, you know, it's not their fault for planting it. It's good that you plant those things, you know. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store, established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020. Moose sells a wide selection of comics from every publisher and time period along with action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose and Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. With more than 40 years and a new second location to its name, Acme is a multiple-time Eisner Award nominee, the shop features a significant contemporary and vintage selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. 
Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. So speaking of Monel, and I know he was a, a favorite of yours, so in this portion of the new Krypton saga, early on in the Codename Patriot story, we have Reactron and Metallo and the magical Mirabi, right? Posing as Nightwing and Flamebird and Supergirl, and they attack and seemingly kill Monel and also destroy the water supply in the city of Metropolis. So there's so there's that whole issue going on in the background where the people of Metropolis have no water for a while. Uh, but it was a great moment where a cat offers Lois some water, like smacks it out of her hand. And she's like, what are you doing? That's water. Anyway, but but so Monel again, to the people of Metropolis, has seemingly been killed. Of course, you know, he's out there and we see very quickly that he's being held by Lane and, uh, you know, and tortured and, and beaten by Atlas and they're trying to get information out of him and all of this. And he eventually escapes with the help of Parasite of all people. And as we later learn off panel, Natasha Irons, who was there undercover, was helping uh, grease the wheels of that as well. But Because uh, Luther broke Brainiac out of jail or yes. vice versa. Brainiac broke Luther out of jail. Like and they kind of went through the same holes that those guys. <laughs> but when he returns, he gets what I had alluded to earlier. I a little bit of a glow up. It's like he, <laughs> he, he starts speaking differently. He starts using contractions, which apparently makes him easier to understand and <laughs> less odd to people. Maybe I was just reading too quickly but the whole, they keep talking about he speaks so weird and it was not registering with me. No, it's a really hard thing to communicate when your characters are absorbed via word balloons, right? Unless someone is putting a great deal of thought into the enunciation of the way a character speaks. It, they normally write that kind of thing phonetically, right? But maybe they, if they tried to concoct a phonetic construction of like a, a, a Daxamite accent, then it probably would have just looked like gibberish inside a word balloon. So yeah, I think it's just an idea they had to work with. Yeah. You know? That he speaks in an odd manner. And then he's, he sort of starts correcting that upon his return. He also dons the S shield, right? Yes. Because he's, it's, it, he's come to terms with the idea that it's not enough to just sort of be the, be the protector of Metropolis in Superman's absence, but that, it, it means something, right? And he he wants to honor the example that Superman has set and the symbol, which at this point in time, after everything that's gone on with New Krypton, uh, is not something that people have the same hope and trust in, or at least that's what we're told. I don't know how much of that we see, but, we're, but we are kind of told that. So he starts using contractions, he dons the S-shield, and, and he gets laid, this guy. He embarks on this romantic relationship with with the niece of, of Jim Harper, who's a fellow uh, member of the science police, and yeah, it's like, it's like this, this whole turn for him. And we, not too long after that, come to find that there are these people in his life, like his barista and control from the science police who gives them all their orders and, and sort of runs operations behind the scenes. Uh, and even one of the, the members of the science police, one of his fellow officers, that they are members of the Legion of Superheroes espionage squad. Now you're a Legion guy, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I think levels up this story a little bit more is just because it, there is really good deft usage of a lot of different corners of uh, Superman mythology going back decades, right? And uh, I mean, 
In- invoking the Legion was great. Obviously, it's going to serve a really important part by Last Stand of New Krypton. But I think it's also really important. Like, if you're going to take the uh, the quote unquote traditional Kryptonian characters that we were reading at this time, so Clark, Kara, Connor, uh, Monel, obviously at this point, Nightwing and Flamebird are in there, but also Steel and and a few others. How are you going to bolster them against a threat that is represented by? Didn't they name it like a hundred thousand Kryptonians? that live within the Terran solar system now. Mm-hmm. Um, the Legion is a clear pick for bolstering the ranks of the heroes. If you're not going to look at like the Amazons, right? Something that's not as connected to Superman and less tangentially through the justice league, the Legion makes perfect sense. So the Legion was starting to kick up a little bit more around this time. They had a backup in Adventure Comics for a while, and I think they were ultimately given their a, a new ongoing title um, in the early 2010s or around 2010. So including them in the, the sort of conversation about this Superman line-wide event, I think it's natural to go to the Legion, especially... If you're like, maybe, maybe the Legion would have actually been in full force in the fully sized conclusion crossover we would have gotten in that respect. It would make a lot of sense to give the, the earthbound Kryptonian characters access to a wider pool of allies and potentially a full scale war, but who knows? So yes, I like the Legions. <laughs> yeah, no, that's one of the reasons I'm I'm glad you're here for this one. I, you know, I'm not the biggest Legion guy, at least not yet. I like the concept. I think more than I've like, I like the idea of it more than I've I've usually tend to enjoy the stories. But I'm open. I'm open to it, and we're, we have more Legion stuff that we'll be doing in the future. But sure. uh, I, I like the way this played. Although, it's, well, what I really liked was how, especially when we get to the conclusion of Last Stand of New Krypton, how this all ties together. This idea that the Legion. Uh, and Monel in particular, like they need to rescue all of the bottles that Brainiac has stolen and and repopulate them, you know, in, in or restore them, uh, you know, to to planets in the universe because they will play a role, right, in in the future. It was just funny to me when you look at the Science Police. It's like you've got obviously Monel had his secret identity. You have uh, a number of members of them who are part of this Legion espionage squad. You know, Billy Billy Harper is hiding the fact that she's Jim Harper's niece. And then there's another officer, Ramundi, who's one of these Kryptonian sleeper agents. It's like, I don't, is there anyone on the science police who is who they say they are? Because <laughs> you've got that business like, too. Yeah, not the most um, rigorous vetting process maybe. But I mean, you know, they were, maybe they were just like, they, they really wanted to get the science police up and running really fast. So let's go with the people who seem like they might be qualified to be part of it. Also, but no, I mean, yeah, I, I, I felt the same way. <laughs> I, was, I don't want to nitpick, but I, I feel like there's kind of this, this kind of uh, maybe parallel where we talked about that conspiracy among Kryptonians that they're yeah. a little, we're scratching our heads a little bit. But then there's also, again, these sleeper agents that Zod has sent to Earth, like half a dozen of them. There was that, uh, media mogul in Australia who Ursa kills in the first part of the story. There's the Bonnie and Clyde who end up, you know, captured by by Luther. There's uh, Jack Sewer, uh, destroyer of Krypton's moon, who ends up as a uh, posing as a doctor at, at Star Labs. There's Ramundi on the science police. 
and she turns over the last sleeper agent to General Lane to protect her cover. Like she sacrifices this guy only to find out that Lane knew all along that she was a Kryptonian and he kills her. But I'm wondering too, like what? I think there's a line about they were sent to like prepare the battlefield or something like that. Like what were they meant to do? Uh, it's not really clear. I mean, conceivably it was just two destabilizing intelligence powers working against each other for similar reasons, but for their own allegiances. But yeah, I mean, practically speaking, like what did they actually accomplish in the end? Certainly not very much, but, uh, yeah, that's, it, it is something that I think they get it by enough where you don't necessarily have to ask a lot of questions about their motivations in order to include them plot wise. But uh, they could have gone a little bit deeper on something that ended up playing a fair amount of importance to the resolution. It works well enough. And and so Ramundi, she her her Kryptonian name is is Car Vex. And having just watched the Krypton series and Nissa Vex <laughs> and all that, I was I was happy to see that. But uh, and she does she does plant the bomb and it destroys the Science Police headquarters. So yeah, it's just as far as destabilizing. Sure, uh, yeah. we've we've mentioned Lane a few times. I complained about this last time, so I, I won't I won't harp on it. But did it does it did it bug you at all that we never got an explanation for how he was alive after our worlds at war? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know how many other, here's the thing. When I was selling these books, there were not an, an abundance of holdovers, like longtime subscribers that we had that, I mean, we had someone who had been reading since fantastic four, number one, but, uh, we, Hey, it's great. He, he has those books still too. At least he did about five or six years ago. But uh, when I was selling these books, there were not a lot of legacy Superman readers. So I don't know how many people were actually thinking in the community of my store about a story like Our World at War, except me, my manager, and maybe one other customer. But I mean, Sam Lane had been off the board in the books for so long Lois had been through so much. Really, the world had been through so much. Uh, the DC universe in particular had been through so much. It's just such a glaring omission for him to have. It, it would have made more sense if they just said he's been alive the whole time somehow. But it's it was frustrating. Yes. Well, he at some point, and maybe it was in the first half, I think he just says to, like, I was never dead. Like, I went into hiding. But... We're never, and again, I, I only, it only bugs me because that was, that was such a formative crossover for me, <laughs> our, our worlds at war. And well, and his return in this story, they made a big deal about. And I also, so, it's like, it, just, <laughs> it wouldn't have taken much. If he had said like, I, I, I grabbed a mother, because you know, our worlds at war, dark side, you know, it was like, like I had a mother box and I boom tubed out right before the tank exploded. Fine. Like anything, anything. But that it's fine. But it's funny. It makes me think of um, of Lana Lang, right? Who's a, a prominent supporting player, specifically in, in Supergirl's world during all of this. And like I mentioned earlier, she's having these health issues, and ultimately, uh, she seemingly dies. But is we ter it turns out she's been infected by the insect queen, and and this was such a great pull and a surprise return. Gangbuster, <laughs> Gangbuster yeah. is on the scene, and he and Supergirl team up. And they're able to use a sort of a version of the process that Zorel had used on Kara early in, in New Krypton to purge her of, of uh, a kryptonite poisoning. 
So they use a version of that process to uh, to cure Lana as well. And there's this rift between between Kara or Kara, depending on your pronunciation, and and Lana, uh, because Lana had hid this affliction uh, from her all this time, right? Like Kara's confiding in her everything she's been going through, and and Lana's been been hiding her health issues. And uh, so Supergirl fifty ends with this you know this kind of rift between them. Thankfully, I did read ahead, like I said, in the Supergirl title, and they do come back together. It's a long winded way of saying that all these Supergirl issues with Lana, I'm like, where the hell is her kid? Yeah. And, and then I was really, look, we've had so many different <laughs> realities and whatnot. And I'm getting to the point where I'm like, wait a minute. was, did they, did they erase uh, uh, Clark Ross when they, you know, with, with Infinite Crisis? I was like, no, but I feel like there were references. Thankfully, uh, in those final couple of issues of, of the Sterling Gates Supergirl run, like Lana's going back to Smallville for a visit to see her kid. And I was like, we don't see him, but at least we're told that he's going there yeah. to see him. I was like, he's around. Right. He's around. Con- I'm yeah. reading these. I'm like, what, what happened to this kid? And in my head, I was like, no, they must've like infinite crisis undid the kid. But now flashpoint would, but we're not there. Yeah. Yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a good way and a bad way to do retcons or those kinds of glossing over. Maybe this is more of a gloss over than a retcon, but uh, whether you want to talk about Lana's child or you want to talk about Sam Lane in particular, they just, they needed him back. He played a very particular role and maybe it's something that we would have learned more about had this reached its intended conclusion from the beginning. I know they just ran out of space. <laughs> you know, that's, it's, it's like, it's one of these things where it's like, this thing was almost two years. Like I just want to line. No, it's all right. It's funny. I, in case anyone involved with New Krypton ever listens to this, I, do, I know <laughs> like a lot of the things that maybe are top of mind are the aspects that that I was confused or, or disappointed or frustrated with. But again, I really do want to stress, and I spent enough time on this at the beginning, so I think we're good. Like I really did enjoy this. It was an enjoyable yeah. read, and I got a lot yeah. out of it, and it provided it provides a lot of fodder for discussion. Uh, but yes, I guess the things that I feel like I need to get off my chest are the things that bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, um, and I, you know, it provides a lot of fodder for discussion and it doesn't get credit for nearly as much fodder for discussion as it provides. You know, it's just, I really do feel like the ending overshadows it so much that people who learn about the, th- this is my hypothesis, people who learn about how abrupt it ends automatically just go, well, why am I going to invest reading a hundred issues? if I'm not going to get a real payoff out of it. And, you know, it's just, it's the journey is, is not the destination. The journey I think is, is a very interesting one to go on. And if you haven't considered it before you should. And if, if there are new Krypton creators who do come across this, thank you for doing this work because clearly you did a lot. Yeah. And well-intentioned and well-organized. I mean, all of the threads that they're able to weave together. Uh, again, it's impressive. There's a lot of strong work here. Now, I say all of that to get, <laughs> that's my segue to the part that I liked the least. But this, I do chalk up to more a matter of taste rather than uh, you know anything that was necessarily wrong with it. But Action Comics focuses on on Nightwing and Flamebird. And right. it, it's, I'm not, listen, I, I referenced when you were here for, for, for uh, Red Skies and I spent a lot of time in those episodes explaining, again, the omniversal control rooms and, and all of these cosmic machinations that were going on. So I'm not, I'm really not going to get into the whole, uh, celestial origin of the Nightwing and Flameberg date, Flameberg deities and all that stuff. 
other yeah. than to say, <laughs> uh, one of the themes here, right, is that you have these two characters who have adopted the the monikers of 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 the Nightwing and Flamebird, and Thara Akvar, right, believes right that she is that she possesses the spirit of the Flamebird. Chris Kent does not believe sort of in the legend of 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 the Nightwing, and and there's even a question, at least initially, of whether or not. Thara's beliefs are, are founded or not, or if she's just nuts. And a lot of tension between her and, and Supergirl, right? Because Supergirl blames her for not being there to protect uh, Zor-El uh, in, in the first part of the story. And there is a, a, a great payoff when Flamebird emerges during the hunt for Reactron arc and uh, is able to neutralize Reactron. And that allows Supergirl to bring him back to New Krypton to stand trial. Uh, just real quick, he is seemingly killed, but it turns out that was just a plot by Alora and Gore, one of the, the, the military goons, uh, and they hide Reactron and they're torturing him, trying to extract information, and that ultimately proves to be their undoing, which we'll get to in a moment. But all that to say, I guess, how much did you enjoy the Nightwing and Flamebird uh, part of this? So uh, full disclosure that um, I am predisposed to liking the work of Eric Troutman um, because I have met him on more than one occasion. He is also a Pacific Northwest comic book retailer. So uh, he and I saw each other reasonably regularly for a couple of years. And he actually showed me on his phone pages of, of some of these issues months before they came out. And, uh, and it was, so I was actually kind of dialed in to Nightwing and Flamebird just because I, I was cheering on Eric. Eric had gotten the job writing action comics. So I'm not going to be the most objective person here in full disclosure, but, um, you know, it, it isn't the most memorable part of the story, even though I like what it has to say. Uh, it's the only one that deals with, I mean, ar you could argue that maybe this shouldn't have been an angle in new Krypton at all, but like the spiritual angle of, coming to terms with reality versus belief. Like they didn't have to include that stuff. And maybe for some people it was a step too far, but I like the, the construction of Supergirl's doubt in particular in those instances where she comes into conflict with Thara, but it's just, um, it's really well constructed. Even if at the end of the day, it's not what I take the most value from in terms of the collective uh, era of stories. But um, I would have liked, this is just a stupid fanboy thing, but I think there would have been room at some point to have a book with Chris Kent and Dick Grayson together. Uh, I think that would have been fun, but um, you know, just wasn't in the cards and, the ultimate conclusion there, of course, was in War of the Superman and very abrupt, you know, um, for a relatively separate thread, too. Yes. Oh, that's cool, though, that you have the, the, the personal connection to, to Eric. Yeah. I mean, again, and I had said this before you even told me that, so I, I, <laughs> I mean it sincerely. It's like it's more just the, the spiritual side, the again, the, the cosmic nature of the Nightwing and the Flamebird. And we get, you know, we get sort of the whole history lesson about the God Rao and these other children he created. It, it just wasn't necessarily my cup of tea. I don't know, in a vacuum, I don't, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it any more or less, but I think what, what hindered my enjoyment a little bit here was it felt the most 
disconnected. And there are even sure. points, especially in the last stand of New Krypton, like action is still doing its own thing. Yeah. Right. It was the That's only true. one that wasn't, uh, you know, a, a central part of that story. So, and I also think, I mean, again, I, having, you know, just kind of tried to get a sense of what, what people have said about this, the fact that Superman really is, you know, for a lot of this, except when we get to the hard crossover part of this, relegated to one book. And so we're, we're being yeah. asked to follow a lot of other new characters. And maybe I just hit my limit. Like me, I was good with the Monel piece of it, but maybe this was just a little bit of a, of a bridge too far. And I just wanted to get back to, um, you know, to what I consider the heart of it, but it is important connective tissue, right? Because, uh, Eventually, Jaxor creates this kind of bastardized version of Rao using DNA from Flamebird or, or something to that effect. And then Luther later uh, will, in War of the Superman, will co-op that to turn the sun red and deprive all of the Kryptonians of their powers temporarily until Flamebird sacrifices herself to restore uh, to restore Earth. And then we also get all this business about about the Nightwing and the Phantom Zone, and the Nightwing is able to recreate the Phantom Zone because it had been destroyed in an earlier part of the story, which is still unclear to me exactly how that happened, but I'll, I'll let that go, I suppose. Sure. Yeah. Well, in terms of the the sort of religious themes that the Nightwing Flamebird stuff played with, I think, um, if I'm just guessing, then there's enough... Here, here's how well this story is constructed. It thinks about multiple facets of new Kryptonian society. So how could you not include something like the religious aspect of it? Plus, please correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm remembering correctly, then wasn't it Byrne who established that post-crisis Krypton was like a post-religious society? That it's something they had moved on from to worship science? Yeah. And... So there is a question created like, well, what's the relationship between science and religion on Krypton? And then, you know, Birthright took things in a little bit of a different direction. This seemed to say that they merged both ultimately, but people who are, have the audacity to believe in the Nightwing and the Flamebird are seen as fundamentalists, uh, or, or at least an equivalent to fundamentalists. I think Supergirl called Flamebird like a religious nut. Uh, in one of the stories. So I think that it's fair game to try and assess that element of society, especially considering it's not a common theme in Superman comics, particularly of the day. You know, there's enough of Kryptonian mythology that had been established since the golden age, really for them to sort of construct what a Kryptonian religious belief would have been uh, if they wanted to. But if you're going to try and really make people invest in new Krypton, you got to touch on that in some way, but it just, maybe it just doesn't have the effect. Or like you said, you know, you reach a certain limit. If you're going to take things further, really give me an incentive to, to pay attention to this because I'm already up to here with not having Kal-El in Superman or action comics. Your point is well taken. Uh, and, and and again, too, it's like, even though it wasn't necessarily what I was looking for, fair point that it's worth addressing, right? And we get all this business about the various guilds, right? And they're the voice of Rao, the religious guild is there. And so this is something that speaks to that. I guess, I don't know, maybe if it had taken place on New Krypton, maybe I would have been a little bit more invested. Sure, or, yeah. I don't know. There's also <laughs> a part of me where it's like, you know, this... 
you get confirmation that the, their beliefs are are founded, right? That there are these these uh, you know these higher beings, and and we don't get that in real life. So I don't know. Maybe part of me is like would have. Maybe I would have preferred kind of hanging out in a in a little bit more of a gray zone of ambiguity of like, well, there are these beliefs and we're not quite sure. You know what I mean? But we got, you know, we got the backstory. Like we got it all, which is fine. Well, that's one of the other ways that this story clashes too, because they clearly give service to multiple areas of society, but then they do things like. Uh, well, Kryptonians are deceptive, so they're going to work against the interests of their own planet. They have been all along. You know, there there is not a universal depth applied to every area of the story. There is effort applied to every area of the story. But clearly, more some aspects got more attention than others, and I think that's probably what happened here. But um, I can't help but think of... Um, the delight of having having just a different kind of subject matter to sink your teeth into that you don't normally get from this set of characters. But if you are going to reread this event, if that doesn't sound like it's interesting to you, or if you're worried about the conclusion being a dud, then maybe skip those issues. Yeah, fair. So that, I mean, mostly takes us to to the end of this year. So again, we've touched on a lot of last stand of new Krypton where Brainiac finally makes his move and, and Lex's or rather uh, a toy man created simulation of Lex as we find out right, later, as but we find out. you know, Lex is, is in league with him until he turns on Brainiac as of course uh, he will. And again, a lot of business here we have, uh, you know, of, of course, well, one thing that I thought was interesting was the fact that the Kryptonians don't fight in a united manner because they're sort of thinking along their guild lines, right? And so you have the the telepaths within the Legion of Superheroes like trying to trying to like force their minds uh, together to cooperate. I thought that was that was interesting. But again, you've got Supergirl and Superboy, Connor Kent and Monel, and the Legion of Superheroes, and Superman and Zod and the Army, right? And they're they're trying to stop Rainiac, destroy the ship, uh, rescue the bottles, uh, you know, all of that business. There's I mean, just in terms of the scale of this, there's there's uh, the, the moment where Lex enlarges one of the bottles within the ship and it it crashes into the city. Like that was that was pretty badass. Yeah, that's a Luther moment. Too. Yeah, that's that's what you want from a Lex Luther who is not completely an enemy at the end of this story. Right. I mean, if he's going to pick a team, he's probably going to pick Team Earth. But I mean, either way, I think I'm one of those people that wants to be given chances to root for Lex Luthor, but give me a good reason to. And that was one of those moments. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, his move against Brainiac, sure. But when we, what we find out, right, there's a moment where he visits Reactron, right, in Candor, And we talked about how Alora had, had been hiding and, and trying to get information out of him. And he does something that we don't know what it is at the moment. But we find out in War of the Superman, he implanted or activated something that causes Reactron to go nuclear and it it obliterates the planet. That's, I, it's too tough a pill to swallow for Lex. I mean, I, I for, you know, in terms of, of how I view the character, it's like, I know he's the, the villain of the story, but that was, was dark, man. I mean, that's where... So much of the way, I mean, that was issue one, wasn't it? Of War of the Supermen? I think that was, yeah, it wasn't the zero issue, but I think it was, I think it was one. It was number one. I mean, 
there that day that that issue came out was a was a, a, a pretty heavy one for me um but just it, it when i'm when i'm thinking back to it it's just reading that in the moment on top of just having a heavy day all of this time that i've invested in these books for for the concept to be switched off um it was a weird feeling it was a very weird feeling because yeah i was one of those people that maybe thought you know this is going on a little too long but to end it so abruptly uh felt kind of just off i don't want to say it felt wrong i don't think i could take it that far but it was just this is not how this kind of storytelling is supposed to work this cannot be the way that they're actually ending this but it was so is one of the things i want to ask you because i feel like there are dueling forces at work or, or, or ideas or, or criticisms here. One, right, is how quickly this all happens. And I think, again, even Sterling Gates, right, like this was not meant to, to end in, in four weeks, right? It was meant to play out over a longer period of time. So there's definitely that. But then there's also just this idea that they wipe the, they wipe the slate clean, right? Like we had spent all this time with this idea that you have 100,000 Kryptonians in a, in, on their own planet, New Krypton, and how are they interacting with Earth and, 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 and the, the universe at large? And, and again, the planet itself is destroyed, right? Under the direction of, of Lane and through, I guess this is an interesting, not to, not to get too specific here, but it's like the, the Luther, whatever we call it, the simulation, the, the toy, the toy version of Lex, who was the mo life model decoy. The light, there you go. <laughs> Who's on Brainiac ship and, 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 and does all of this. Like is Lex directly controlling him or is it the sort of thing where he has some kind of autonomy or lane is controlling him? Cause it just feels like I, I again, I, I, I cannot get on board with that, with the, like a genocidal Lex. And maybe people are listening to this and like, of course, like that's Lex, that's what he, but I don't know, man. I, I, I like a little, a little humanity to the guy. No, I mean, you need, Lex Luthor by necessity has to have a, a pretty strong moral focus, even if it's twisted, you know? So that seems like a step too far, especially with all of the vaunted speeches where he's supposedly defending the integrity of the human race, right? I mean... Right. That's his whole thing. It's like humanity yeah. in, in this, in this iteration and this story in particular, right? Like humanity can advance if Superman is, is, is the model, right? Nobody can, nobody can achieve that. Uh, and it stymies, you know, human progress and development. But so anyway, so the planet is literally destroyed, right? It's with, with many, yeah. with most, the vast majority of, of, of the Kandorians uh, dying in the blast or, or in space. Uh, yet more lose their lives when uh, Lex turns the sun red, right? And they lose their powers. You, you know, uh, Superman and Supergirl are included in that, but once the sun is <laughs> returned to yellow, they're fine. But like everyone else is suffocated, it seems. Yeah. Um, oh, well, look, it was weird. It was very weird. Um, it was just the the off feeling i really just i can't get past that um i i honestly like there are few comic books where i'm reading it and i can't believe what i'm reading 
you know, generally I go along with the stories, but this was an instance where, you know, I was the most dedicated new Krypton reader I knew. Uh, I didn't know anyone who was keeping up with it as much as I was in my own community. So for things to just stop, it was exciting because that also meant that, hey, we're going to get to something new even faster. But what about all the time I just spent reading all of these stories with so many of these different people? Hop in the Supermobile and join us for the spinoff podcast Beyond Metropolis, available exclusively for members of my Patreon community. It's a monthly tour across the DC universe with the signature Digging for Kryptonite style applied to your other DC favorites. Additional Patreon rewards include advanced listens, sponsorships, and more. We offer regular monthly memberships, discounted annual plans, free trials, and a la carte purchases. Visit patreon.com slash anthonydesiato or click the link in the show notes for more. Thank you all. This podcast is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show, too. Many of you have already used this code, and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. This, we're just doing away with the planet now. It took longer to create than to destroy, although maybe that's another theme that it was going for. But um, I feel like it's a better question for you, though, because you spent so much time recently absorbing all of these issues uh obviously there's a greater payoff waiting for you in the sense that you get to unwind with people and talk through them and and we get to to share our perspectives on them but just in terms of narrative investment how did you feel about just hitting the the brick wall so quickly like wily e. coyote uh, yeah i don't know i mean the thing i wrestle with is on the one hand look the conflict is inevitable, right? You, you, it would be an unsatisfying story if Earth and Krypton just, you know, shook hands and, and that was that whatever. Was it. You know, they're we'll like, see. oh, we'll be fine. We so expect like, a Green Lantern by the end of the week. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you know. So that's the thing. There's there's an inevitability to the conflict, but in terms of how it resolves, that again, the planet is destroyed. Most die in the blast. Many more die in space. Uh, many more of the soldiers are killed by humans on earth who they're, you know, <laughs> the government in this story, they're exceedingly well-equipped with Kryptonian killing weapons, which yeah. I guess are done away with or just disappear by the time we're done with the story. But, uh, and then the, the ones who remain, you know, including Zod and Ursa are just very conveniently, uh, sent back to the phantom zone, even though the projector had been, or the, the zone itself had been destroyed. But of course, through the, the Nightwing business, it came back and all of that. But, uh, you know, it's like, what, what would I have wanted? And I mean, I don't know. I feel like there is a version of the story where even if part of the planet is decimated or part of, you know, even a significant portion of the population, like that's the thing. There could have been something where instead of a hundred thousand, there's 10,000 or a thousand or like something like there's some contingent who remains and maybe they stay on the planet. Maybe they take a page out of the pre-crisis story, you know, let my people grow and they decide to depart this galaxy and even this dimension and they go somewhere else, but you know, they're still kind of out there. You know, there's, they tease this idea that there might be some Kryptonians who are hiding on Earth, right? Clark yeah. says to Lois, like, I looked, I couldn't find any. If they're there, they don't want to be found. It's like, that could have been an interesting thread. I don't know. Part of me feels like it's, 
predictable to kind of reset the status quo. But then part of me does feel like it, it is surprising that they went as hard as they did. Like it's such a drastic step to take. Yeah. Which is not an answer to you, but it's just like, I don't know. That's kind of what I'm wrestling with. I'm like really kind of torn well, on this. No, I'm not surprised. I mean, this, these books can cultivate a lot of emotions. I don't think they're often given, like if people go earnestly on the journey, then you're going to feel things about what's going on. And you're absolutely going to feel things about how abrupt the ending is. So I think it's totally fair to have conflicting thoughts and a, a multitude of con conflicting thoughts. Once you get on the other side of this again, because the books aren't bad, you know, there's some that are great. I don't think there's any that are terrible or even bad to per se. Even more so than the abruptness uh, of how new Krypton was taken off the board. Uh, I had a hard time buying how quickly seemingly the entire planet got on board with war against earth. Yeah. Um, which again, I guess this is another thing maybe we can chalk up to just the truncated ending, but it just kind of bugged me because last stand of new Krypton was primarily about Brainiac attacking. And that's a great part to have within this story, right? Because it's the, you know, the greatest, the greatest tragedy that Kandor has suffered, right? Uh, they're, they're bottling the attack by Brainiac. Like he's back and they're faced with this again. And, and for a portion of that story, they are bottled again. Right. And for Zod, this is his chance to finally make, make good on, on what he had, uh, you know, redeem the failure uh, from the first time around. So very interesting stuff. And again, the, the spectacle, the action were, were terrific. But at the end of that story, Zod pins a hell of a lot on Lex's involvement. Right. The fact that like a human was with Brainiac, like we can't wait any longer. We have to take the war to Earth. And I just felt like that's a lot to pin on on one human, but for Zod to say that, okay, I still have my own issues about how quickly Zod turned, but fine. Sure. But yeah. it just for the, and I know, I guess they look at Zod and he's just saved them right in their eyes. So I, I guess they're very susceptible, I, but it just seemed like we had spent so much time on new Krypton and we had seen like a, you know, like Cal second in command. Like she seemed to have a good head mm -hmm. on her shoulders. It's like, where was she in this to be like, to do anything? We don't even know what happened to her. I don't think. Maybe, I, maybe she's in the background floating in space. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't, I, I, I didn't, I didn't notice maybe, but. Well, what, what you, the things that you're expressing, the, what immediately comes to my mind is just how there was a critical missed opportunity for the illustration of dichotomy, because we were talking at the top of our discussion about earth's media being manipulated. Um, Conceivably, there's no like equal institution necessarily on Krypton, except for Zod, the guy that they trust well enough to bring him back out of the Phantom Zone and trust him again with their protection. If they had just had a thread that started earlier where Zod can engineer minor disagreements just to annoy his own people with Earth to the point where it bubbles over into a willingness to strike first, uh, that would have been more rewarding. Um, but considering the way that this ended, I think it's, it, it would be a fair bet to chalk it up to the truncation. Yeah. But I like, no, I like what you said. I think it would have been really interesting to see 
to see the Kryptonian version of what we saw yeah. on Earth. Uh, the last thing that I really, I really do not buy, I'm sorry, uh, is that General Lane would commit suicide. Yeah. It just, no. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. It just, it just didn't track. I also, and this is not something that I can, I can chalk up to the, to the rush ending because I felt this way even in the first half. I wish that there had been more facets to his character. He mm -hmm. was so one. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I could say he's anything other than one note across this saga. It's like he hates aliens and Kryptonians in particular, and that's. Yeah. I mean, Lex at least has. <laughs> Lex at least has more of a of a of a philosophy behind it, at least in terms of what he what he says he does. Right. So yeah, I don't know. The Lane, I, I get the function he serves here, and it works to a large extent. I guess I just would have liked a little bit more, and I didn't buy the choice that he made uh, at at the conclusion of this. Did you? No, no. I mean, it feels like they realized how many different characters they were going to be fo focusing on. And if they added too much coverage of General Lane, then maybe that would have been too much just to to ask of a reader, although they certainly ask a lot of the readers of this event, to be fair. But um, you would think that they could give a little bit more service to the nuances of his thinking, especially considering, uh, you know, he's Lois's father that was because he spent so much time in hiding we never really got to explore all that much between those two and they're clearly different philosophies when it comes to aliens generally and kryptonians in particular um it would have arguably served as a good proxy if superman himself couldn't be there if they had been able to play more with the relationship between father and daughter but um I think it's I think it's fair to say that General Lane is a bit of a cog in this because he basically just kind of facilitates what the other bad actors are doing in this story and doesn't bring a whole lot to the table except to orchestrate as opposed to believe in what he's doing. Like we we only get very cursory service to what his belief system is in this instance and how uh, how he feels about the necessity to protect. He seems very simplistic by comparison to other characters here. It's, you know, we just came off of the first season of my adventures with Superman and I really like their take on, on the character there. And I feel like you got a little, a little bit more. And I also, it's interesting here because it's like, if they had just made him show any sort of warmth toward either of his daughters, it's like, at least that yeah. would put a little, maybe a little more meat on the bone. I also, again, I don't, I don't mean to you know, to, to play Monday morning quarterback, but like maybe during our worlds at war after that explosion in the tank where he seemingly died, maybe he was taken by one of the alien races involved in, you know, what an Imperiax probe beamed him to another planet and he had to fight his way. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like there's maybe a way to, to kind of square away all of the issues that I had with the character. Like you kind of explain where he's been, what he's gone through, how it's warped his view or, or whatever. Uh, and uh, and, and I don't know, maybe it would, it would track a little bit more because it just played more one note than I feel like it needed to. I, you know, I feel like mm -hmm. we could have had a little bit more there where, because again, going back to the, I think the earlier part of the story, I think, you know, seeing the tensions mount between the planets or the peoples more organically, it, 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 it felt more believable. And then we get to this point and, you know, again, he just like blows up their planet. So yeah. anyway.
I mean, what? entire planets whipped up into frenzies by the forces that control them. I mean, I think that would have been a worthy threat to explore, certainly. Yeah. But listen, it was, uh, again, just despite what I know people, anyone who might've been thinking about reading this, they're, they're probably like, oh, I don't know if I, really read it for yourself, see what you think. I, and I would love to hear from people who have already read it or, or who read it now, uh, and see what kind of mileage you got out of, out of these stories. I thank you so much for, for doing this reading and coming on and having this conversation. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to? Um, yeah, I, I think it's worth touching a little more on Allura. Um, just because I feel like the trajectory is very similar with general lane, except for the fact that they did give her more nuance and they gave her a lot more moments where she is a legitimately complex person. And we are given information very late that even her husband was aware that she can be, uh, cunning and even a little duplicitous in certain places but they also willfully and consciously gave her uh, a high moment to close out her time in the story on. And she's arguably the, the antagonist that even though she's not even a full antagonist, she's given uh, a great deal of, of more complex service that I really appreciated. Yes. No, for sure. Like those flashbacks to the development of her relationship with Zorel. That went a long way. And and yes, the moment that she goes out on, even though she's, you know, her her decision about Reactron ultimately ends up condemning the planet, but she's able to at least save her daughter uh, in, in the moment before the blast. So yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. It's an important point because it's like, yes, we're talking about that they didn't have a lot of real estate and things were rushed and all of that. And we get that. And I, I feel for the the creators involved having to to shorten their story. But But at the same time, it's like things like that, don't necessarily take up a ton of space, but they go a long way towards, you know, towards, I think, alleviating some of these issues. But again, man, this arc, this saga, our arc is too small a word. Like this really was a saga. It really, I mean, it's saga and an era. I mean, it's kind of an era unto itself. Just when you think of the unique dynamics that are created about this whole status quo, it was very different territory. And because... I think in hindsight, it is viewed as inoffensive at best. It just gets forgotten. It would almost be more talked about today, I think, if it was terrible, but it wasn't. Like its biggest sin is that it didn't piss a bunch of people off, even if it is a wholesale departure from Superman's status quo. And yet the discussion about it, the silence is deafening. It is just a fascinating artifact of Superman's publication timeline. Uh, and I mean, it was, I, I didn't appreciate when those books were coming out, just how different it really was. But in hindsight, it's so easy to see, especially considering how much oxygen the new 52 takes up in terms of its take on Superman and the different levels of value people extract from those stories. Uh, people talk very fondly about rebirth, of course, um, and that was kind of an era unto itself because for a little while there, the situation was radically different and it was a successor Superman technically. But when it comes to new Krypton, there's just no discussion about it. And I think that that does it a disservice because it is a fascinating example of this character's history. Well, now we have these episodes out there exactly. and hopefully that gets people talking about it. So that's why I was thrilled to be here. So thank you for the invitation. Well, I hope people check it out. I hope it gets 
uh, a new line of collected editions. I really do. I think it's ripe for an adaptation. I know Smallville season nine did, you know, kind of a, a version of this kind of story, something right? like Candorians, yeah. but something, something truer to the comics, but um, obviously doing its own thing as well I, is, is what I would like to see. And whether it's an animated form or live action, or it's, you know, I, again, I feel like this could very well be a, a television, you know, limited series of like, there's, I feel like there's a lot of potential here with this story. Well, let me ask you something, because you also recently absorbed another new Krypton story. So you've been exposed to this concept rather consistently. How does this one rank among the other ones you've explored in other media too? Compared to Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. Yeah. (laughs) There's, I mean, that was, you know, four episodes versus, you know, two years, but, um, I, this is is so terrible, but like, I feel like. Lois and Clark. What, what I liked so much about that arc was just, I feel like thematically, it just, it tapped into just the core of the show and the, sure. the core relationships. And yeah. uh, it, it was just kind of a, a you know, such a, a pinnacle for the character and his development at, at that point. And I, I can't say that about this, right? Sure. Again, I feel like there was a lot in the setup. And I, again, I think the, the, the way the tension was initially building was really captivating and seeing Cal operating on New Krypton and leading the military and again, building this very tentative relationship with the the unlikeliest of people in the form of General Zah. Like there was a lot of good stuff there, but yeah, I don't know. I also don't know what ultimate point it's it's making or what it's ultimately doing for the character. Like once war breaks out, Superman and Supergirl, they're mostly trying to just kind of avoid bloodshed on on both sides, right? Like they're just trying to stop humans and Kryptonians from killing each other. We we do get to the point at the end, right, where where Superman is willing to to go with Zod into the Phantom Zone to serve as his warden until Chris Kent emerges and, and takes his place. It's the only time in this two-year saga where the two of them <laughs> yeah, in, interacted. But but I don't know. Like I don't so, I mean, it's, you know, it's weird to say it, but it's like, I feel like I have a clearer sense from that, you know, that television arc or, or from Smallville as well of like what, what it did for the character here. I just don't know that we got there. Yeah. I, I, and I think that that's a symptom of it sort of getting cut off at the kneecaps, you know, I mean, you have to be pretty judicious in the way that you plan episodic television. You have to know where you're going to end up ultimately if you, uh, you know, at least if you're a good show and, uh, yeah, that arc I think landed where it wanted to land and it had an idea of what it wanted to to push him to in, in future episodes. But yeah, with this, I just don't think they were given a chance. And it's it feels like a common tale a little bit, it just in terms of DC's ongoing treatment of the Superman titles of this time. I think nowadays they do a pretty good job of elevating Superman to top tier status in terms of the publication line even though someone else tends to command most of the attention, of course. But um, there was a distinct lack of confidence that I at least felt as a Superman fan, especially by this time where it seemed like DC was all in on seeing new Krypton as the event that would drive things for a long time to come. And it ended so abruptly. Then we were lurching between a couple of different stories uh, and once Straczynski, of course, caught wind of the new 52, he jumped off of the title anyway. 
So, and, and then, you know, it, it ended and, and things were reset. So it's just, it's such a fascinating, again, such a fascinating era, but Superman fans were feeling, especially before the new 52, I think it's pretty safe to say that the character and his world did not have the full confidence of the people who owned him. And you could argue that's an attitude that persisted well into the new 52, arguably the entirety of the new 52, depending on who you talk to. So, um, didn't really start to resolve itself until after rebirth. If, if you believe it was resolved. Sure. And I will say, I, I think the books now are in such a great spot. Like I, I, I really do feel that. Uh, it was still, again, still fun to read and still fun to talk about. And uh, yeah. I really do appreciate, you know, your insight, um, from the, as a, as a fan, uh, and, and then as a retailer as well. And I know you have a lot of, you know, interest and knowledge and passion for that, the period of time uh, in comics in particular. I do. So yeah. it's, uh, no, it's always cool to get your perspective on it. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate the invitation. Like I said, I haven't really had to talk about this for 13 years or so. So uh, it's it's fun to to revisit this time because it was definitely an animated one in the super books. So your podcast, where would you like to direct people? So feel free to check out the YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. That's where most of my current material is. We began very recently a subseries called Nights Never Die that takes an issue by issue look at Grant Morrison's run on on the the main Batman title. Uh, we have done two episodes so far, so we've only covered two issues. So please check us out because it'd be easy to, to jump into that run if you've never read it before, especially. Um, and uh, we do also just other regular discussions about current comics topics. Or we take we we recently did an episode where we recommended different books to get for the comic book fan in your life during the holiday season if you're inclined. Uh, Superman makes it into the recommendation list in a couple of different spots. Um, and then there's also Discovery Debrief, a Star Trek podcast, where we take a look at current uh, Star Trek uh, productions, of which right now there's a lot. We have, uh, it's been a while since we've gotten together, but we are going to unpack the latest season of Star Trek Lower Decks that just concluded. And then this coming April, the fifth and final season of Star Trek Discovery will air, so we'll get back to weekly episode reviews to send off the show that brought us all together. Uh, and then my website, bychriscloud.com. I recently just imported all of the reviews I've written of the Batman Arkham games, uh, including a couple of spinoffs and DLC material. Uh, and I occasionally share other perspectives on things there too. Awesome. Well, I hope everyone will check that out. Chris, thank you again. Thank you, audience, as always. I hope you have enjoyed our new Krypton coverage and our Doomed Planet event generally. Now, if you're listening to this, uh, in real time on or around December 19th. You might expect this to be our last episode of 2023, but it's not. We actually have a very special Christmas-themed installment coming your way next week. So do make sure you tune in for that. And until then, as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. Be sure to check out our sister podcast series, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, an episode-by-episode -episode breakdown of the classic George Reeves television show, available wherever you get podcasts. Please join us on social media, become a patron, and subscribe, rate, and review today. Links are in the show notes. Thank you all.